Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 328 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we are talking with Travinia Barber about taking control of your overwhelming email inbox. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lex Reception, ESQ.Marketing, Text Expander, and Postali. We wouldn't be able to do the show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So we don't usually use the podcast to talk about internal logistics at Lawyerist, but we're excited to let all of you know that we've got a couple of big open hiring positions here and thought it would be fun to let all of our Lawyerist community know on the off chance that either you or someone you know might be the right next person to join our amazing team. Yeah. I mean, I'm super excited about these openings. So just to be clear, we're hiring a new marketing director and a new products director. So not a lawyer necessarily position, but maybe you guys know some great people that would be great fits for our team. And one of the reasons I thought it would be fun to mention it on the podcast is not just on the off chance that we're able to source some new candidate who would be great for us, but also to highlight the fact that we try to practice what we preach and all of our hiring decisions are based on hiring people who are a fit with our core values and a fit with the culture we're trying to drive on our team. We're really focused on hiring for culture and values fits here. And that's obviously what we teach in all of the previous podcast episodes. You may have heard about our hiring recommendations for law firms is to make sure that you're really clear on what the right person for your law firm looks like and what your firm is trying to do in the world. And I think we're really clear on the work lawyerist is trying to do in the world and what it means to be a great fit for us. And so part of what we're looking for is the right people to do these roles who really understand the importance of the work we do for small firm lawyers in the world and focused on building our inclusive community of small firm lawyers. Yeah. One of the things I think we did this time, which is super interesting and maybe helpful for our listeners, every time we know we need to hire, we take a step back and we look at our hiring process And we try to be really intentional about why are we doing the things that we're doing? I feel like at this point, everyone just asked for a resume. And you actually asked me the question, okay, Stephanie, we're going to ask for a resume for people to submit their resume. What's going to be our standard? Why are we looking at people's resumes? Do we care if they were maybe a mom or dad who left the workforce for a while? Some people look at how long people have been at companies and are they jumping around a lot? Are we looking at education background? What is it that we're going to look at someone's resume And I thought that was such a great question that you asked me made me realize, yeah, I bet everyone on our team has been trained to think about a resume in a different way. And we don't have a uniform approach. And then as a result of that conversation, we've actually put in our job posting why we are asking people for their resume and what we're going to be considering when we review it. Yeah. And the things we're looking for might not be the same things that, in fact, the whole point is they probably aren't the same things that another employer is looking for. And I have always found the kind of resume cover letter approach without additional instruction or guidance 
not just to be a detriment to applicants, but I think it perpetuates a lot of the rule of thumb randomness in hiring that so many hiring managers or people assigned to interview people run into that unless there's really clear guidance on what are we looking for? What does that look like? And are we actually encouraging applicants to be able to clearly show that to us rather than kind of trick-based interviews or interviews based on comfort and similarity of, I want to see a resume that looks like my resume, or I just want to see someone who looks really impressive, which almost always results in the wrong kind of vetting or too much gut check hiring. And it definitely discourages finding diverse hires or hires who look and think differently than you do. And so we've tried to be really deliberate in saying, we want a resume and here are the four things we're going to look for in it. And for us, we care a lot about continuing education and personal and professional development, but I don't care at all around whether you were on the dean's list of a college I've heard of or whether you were an honors student at XYZ thing. That doesn't tell me anything about whether you're going to be hardworking, creative, whether you're going to continue to have drive. And so for us, I'm not looking for any kind of traditional resume markers. I want to see what have you created and what motivates you. And more importantly, even than what I'm looking for is that we've had the conversation and we're in alignment on what we're looking for and that we're trying to encourage candidates to know that ahead of time so that they can filter for what we're looking for. That makes so much sense because honestly, if we think about it too, like we're hiring for a marketing position, I mean, what someone learned in college eight years ago about marketing, marketing is one of those fields that it feels like it changes and there's new things always. And so I would be more interested in how are they continuing that education? What are they reading about now? What do they know about how social media is now impacting marketing, which I think probably looks very different than what a textbook told them eight or 10 years ago. Yeah. So if any of you out there are the right candidate to join our amazing team or know someone who might be, we would love to hear from you. You can find the postings on our website. And if nothing else, hopefully this little discussion has been a little bit useful in helping you think through ways you might improve your next hire. And now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Shannon from Lex Reception and then Laura's conversation with Trevinia. Hey y'all, it's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist, and today I am joined by Shannon Baston, the lead client services manager at Lex Reception. Now, Lex Reception, as many of you know, is a virtual receptionist company that helps small to medium-sized lawyers throughout the U.S. Thanks for being with us, Shannon. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So today we're talking about something I think is actually really important for all businesses, but especially lawyers, working on your law firm instead of just in it? Yeah, I've actually been practicing some strategies myself for a few months, and it's been a game changer. I'm able to achieve daily, weekly, monthly goals, staying on top of my tasks, and seeing some pretty intense growth. I think that's something that a lot of attorneys are looking for. I know that's a thing that a lot of us, attorneys or not, struggle with is staying on top of our stuff. So what are you doing? Yeah. So the first tip I have is to create multipliers. You want the business to be able to run without you. You should be able to take vacation, take a day off, spend time with your family, focus on growth and projects and not have that added stress of everything's on fire. At this, right. But in order to do that, 
Creating multipliers means that you will give others the space to work and resolve tasks on their own and not necessarily using your plans and your strategies and your ideas. You can't one that just gives the answers right away. That's going to drag you down. So give them your coworkers and team members bandwidth to figure things out on their own. And you can't pick up every phone call. You need to be able to focus on that growth. And you can't do that if you're tethered to the phone. That's true. If you're the one taking all the intake, if you're the one dealing with all that and you want to scale, it's not easy to do if you're just doing all the small tasks. Now, you guys also have a calendaring service, right? Not just the answering the phone, but also setting out your own time. It's another helpful way of working on your company as well, right? Yeah, that's actually my next tip. We do use our own internal calendaring system called Setmore, which is included with your Lex reception service. The way that you can work on your business instead of in your business by using your calendar is intentionally blocking off time for yourself. Use that time to read, listen to a podcast, meditate, whatever is going to be helpful for you to launch and excel you. I found that I'm personally much more more productive when my day is based off of my calendar. It's giving me time to block off time to complete a task and whatever I don't get done in that time block, it gets moved to the next day. I'm not going to keep hounding on that one specific thing. But those time blocks are for you. So I would definitely recommend using calendar for even scheduling clients because those quick phone calls, oh, I just have a quick question, can end up taking up an hour, two hours of your day. So be mindful. That day is yours. When I started practicing law, my father told me starting and stopping a task, there's 10, even 15 minutes on the front end and tail end of doing that. And if you're doing that with five-minute phone calls, all the time, all day, and interrupting your day, then that is a great way to be busy, but inefficient. A hundred percent. I do this. I break out a lot of parts of my day as this is reserved for this type of thing. And I have meetings that are able to be scheduled in specific time slots in my day that allow me to focus on that one thing and have all the stuff out for that. To have my practice management system up, I think that's a wonderful suggestion on how to do this. What else, though? This isn't all we have on helping people block out their day or get some time back. What else is a good way to do this? Automation. Yeah. And CRM integrations. Why manually plug data all day long? That's so time consuming. Automate it. Have a CRM practice management software that you can use that's going to be efficient for you. You know, not every one automation system is going to be for everybody. But having that automated is such a time saver. You can focus on your meetings, your time in court, your time with your family, because you're not spending hours inputting all of this data. Right. That's actually something that I get asked all the time is what is the first thing I can do in implementing technology into my practice. It really is that small automation, the day-to-day -day tasks, the things that you're going to do over and over, and it's adding to a process that you're already doing, like creating reports automatically. And so you can go in and see those reports instead of having to go through a couple of times and do that, or making sure that you're only entering data into a system one time instead of entering it into your CRM and then into your law practice management system and then into QuickBooks, automate those things. Or at the very least, have somebody else 
do it, if it's something that needs that human touch, that can be outsourced a lot of times. You know, honestly, I think that's where Lex Reception comes in a lot is being able to outsource some of those tasks that don't require legal research, let's say. Absolutely. With Lex Reception, we not only can handle those phone calls, but the integration automation part of it. I mean, we even offer a document sending service. So if we need to send out legal intake forms, that's automated. So we finish with that new client, that email is getting sent over to that new lead right as soon as that phone call ends. So by the time you have that consultation with that potential new lead, all the intake forms are filled out, your agreements are filled out, you're ready to go. You literally just have to show up for that meeting. That's the fruits of your labor of working on the business. You create those automations, you save yourself time. Although it took a little bit of effort in the first place, now you have more time to work on your business, to work in your business, to go fishing. Yeah. To do what you will with that time. Well, Shannon, I always appreciate you guys being here. If people want to learn more, they can obviously go to lexreception.com forward slash lawyers. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you for your time and we will see you next time, Shannon. Thanks, Zach. Hey, I am Trevinia Barber. I'm the founder of a company called Priority VA, where we help entrepreneurs and leaders build teams they can trust. I am so thrilled that you are here today because this is a hot topic that comes up all of the time. And I feel like we've given tips and suggestions, but we are talking about email inboxes and specifically this concept of one, getting it under control, and two, when is it really time to release control and have that be managed by someone else? I think a lot of us feel the overwhelm in our inboxes, but there's also a trust issue of is this going to be weird that someone's in my inbox? So let's start with this whole first concept of how do we know that there's a problem with your inbox? What are the warning signs of this is going downhill fast? Have you ever seen those people who put screenshots on Facebook or Instagram or whatever of their phone, right? And it shows how many emails they have in their inbox. And there's two types of people, the people with 80,000 emails or zero. And if you're one of those people who have even honestly more than a couple of hundred emails in your inbox, it's time to get you some support. And what it typically is indicative of is that you don't have a system. Not necessarily that you don't know how to manage your inbox or you're overwhelmed. It could literally just be that you don't have a system that you follow. You don't do something with each email. You don't delegate an email or you don't delete an email. Those are really the only three things you should be doing in your inbox. Either you do it in that moment or you decide when you're gonna do it later and actually schedule that time to do whatever that activity is. Delete it because it's junk or irrelevant. Document something that you might need to do as a result of it and delegate it, get it out of your head and out of your inbox, right? And onto the plate of the person who can actually handle that thing. People often come to us and they will have 30,000 emails in their inbox. And I'm like, why do you keep them in there? And they're like, oh, I just use search. Well, okay, what's happening? And that's fine if that's how you want to play. But every time you open your inbox and you see 30,000 emails in there, there is something subconsciously that happens, right? It is just this little hit of overwhelm every time you go in there. And so I say, Always delegate before you're ready. Let's get you some support. Let's get a system in place so that you're not, A, using your inbox as your to-do list, which a lot of people are doing, right? 
or you're not living and dying by the next pop-up that comes in and that's the urgent things that needs your attention. We've got to learn to block and tackle your time so that you can stay focused and not have someone else's urgency become yours. I love that. You know, I talked to some of the attorneys in our community and I said, where are you struggling with inbox zero? And I felt like I could identify with one of the really common responses, which was a lot of them felt like they were in control of client communications that were coming to their inbox. They had a system for that. That might be connected to their law practice management software, or it could be passed on to a paralegal or something like that. It was all of the other stuff. And this, I think, is one of the ways that email has evolved over time. It used to be a thing where you only heard from people you wanted to about urgent matters. And now you have everything coming into one place. You have newsletters, you have updates or questions from other people. You have things that are urgent that you need to deal with. You have meeting requests and notifications. When you have like a really good system for a portion of your inbox, but it's all the other clutter and stress that's driving you crazy. Where do you start with that? I think a few things need to happen. I think we need to ruthlessly unsubscribe <laughs> from stuff. How many times do you get that newsletter and we move it into a folder? We're like, well, I'm going to get to that later. And you never do, right? Let's just ruthlessly unsubscribe. There is one email that I read religiously every single Friday. It's from a friend of mine. His name is Robert Glazer. And he sends an email called the Friday Forward. It's never a pitch for anything. It's just good email content. Everything else I unsubscribe from because it's like I don't actually need the Domino's pizza coupon coming into my work email, right? Do we really need that? <laughs> right. And so we got to get really ruthless. This is where having somebody on your team that you will just give permission, unsubscribe from all the junk. This is the five or 10 senders that I definitely want to get their newsletter content or whatever. So unsubscribe, first step. Second step is let's create a system and a process for dealing with all of the other things you know, the little notifications that you get that Joe accepted your meeting invite, let's set up some filters so that you're not even seeing those, right? So it's all noise. And so we got to cut down on the amount of noise. And that's really by being clear on what you need to see, what's going to be nice to see when you have time, right? Those newsletters that you might want to binge read when you're on the toilet or whatever it is that you do. And then the stuff that you absolutely don't need to see and having somebody on your team that can help you do that and can be a little bit of the traffic cop for you is really helpful because you, Laura, if you're in your inbox, you're gonna be like, no, well, I might need to see that. Like, maybe I'll just keep that one. But someone else is gonna be like, no, actually, you don't need to see this. They'll look in your history and say, you haven't read the last 18 of them. Do we really need to keep you on this list? So that's a big place that I would start. I think a lot of people try to start in the reverse, right? Which is, okay, let me see everything that's unread in my inbox and I'll go one by one and unsubscribe them. I found starting the reverse was actually helpful. Like you said, what are the emails I actually want to receive? Okay, there's like two marketing newsletters. I want to make sure I get my weekly emails from lawyerist and all of that. But... When you make that list, you find out it's quite small. It's probably like five to six things that you're like, yes, I would miss this in my week if I did not get to read this. And then you can tell someone on your team or have one of these softwares that do it for you say, everything but this very short list, trash it. I don't need it because clearly it's not coming to mind for me as something that is important for me to keep track of. And I think I outsourced my inbox for my business a number of years ago. And I mean, I waited 
way too long to even have anybody help. One of the things I found to be helpful was telling the person as they were learning how to triage this stuff. I said, if there is really something where you are stuck, you can connect with me on Slack or Voxer or our project management software and say, Laura, I really didn't know what to do with this one. And then have them mark, okay, in that situation, this was an interview request. Laura said yes to it. So in the future, they also have those knowledge points of these are the ways that this email inbox owner would handle the situation. So you're not getting asked the same thing over and over again. They don't come up that much, way less than I thought, where someone was like, yeah, I'm actually really stuck and I have no idea how you would deal with this. 95% of the time they got it. And you realize, oh, I really didn't need to be part of that for all the years right? I started becoming inbox conscious when I read a post from a friend of mine named Taki Moore. And he posted just this random comment in a Facebook thread where people were talking about hating their email. And he said, the goal is zero inbox, not inbox zero. So think about that zero inbox versus inbox zero. And so I started on this mission how could I have zero inbox (laughs) as someone who runs an EA firm who's getting inundated with emails all the time? And I think I'm pretty good at managing my inbox. How can I also take it to a different level? And so I got really neurotic about figuring out how to do this. And it took me a long time. And a few things that I had to work through, which I think many of the lawyers that are probably listening to this show have to deal with is like, They don't necessarily trust anybody to be as responsive (laughs) as them or to answer in the way that they might answer. And so I used to have this famed sort of 52 second response time to emails and I had to set some parameters. Not everyone is going to be as responsive as I am. And so what is the maximum amount of time that I feel comfortable with somebody responding to an email? And for me, I still want it to be 52 seconds, but my team is not me. So we decided 24 hour response time for every single email without exception. The second problem that I found is that I felt like people couldn't speak as me. They couldn't speak on my behalf well. And so what I had to do is create a brand guide to help people understand how I communicate. And I had to give them access to my inbox to go into my sent items and say, okay, when this client was frustrated or when this pitch came in to be on the podcast, this is the response that Trevenia used in the past. Then they can create some templates for themselves and they start to learn your voice. At the very beginning, guys, I would encourage you, shadow whomever's going to help you and see. Let them write a draft response and then you look at it. Okay, great. I probably wouldn't have said sincerely at the end of it because that's not my brand. I say take care, right? So you can make little tweaks and adjustments and they'll start to learn your voice. That's really powerful because I think one of the pieces of pushback about training someone else is going to be, oh, great, now I have to go create a whole brand guide and I have to say, these are the 15 different types of emails that I receive and here's how I would respond. That stuff already exists and it's in your sent folder and it's in your inbox. So allow someone to see how you would handle it. And I find too, sometimes the way someone else responds, it might not be exactly the way that you would, but is it a massive loss if at the beginning it's not perfect? I don't think it's going to be a huge loss. One of the things that I come up against is there's almost this feeling of you're being fancy by even saying, I'm so important. I need someone else to handle my inbox. That was a really hard one for me to get over. So for people who are like, I'm not that important, like, is this really to the level where someone else should handle it? Do you have any suggestions for getting over that? Because we all know it's ridiculous, but it still pops up. 
Yeah, it is ridiculous. And it really just becomes a matter of your own self-worth and letting our ego not take over, thinking A, that you are too important or that you're not important enough, that you haven't arrived at a specific level to warrant someone in your inbox. And the truth is, if someone can be more responsive than you, if maybe your response time is pushing 72 hours or heck, you've got emails that have been sent weeks ago that you haven't replied to and we empower someone else and they respond in 20 minutes, what is that doing for your brand? What is that doing for your customers and the experience? So it's almost like we have to, as nice as I can say this, get over ourselves and realize that this isn't in any way a status play. This is a capacity play for our brain space and our responsiveness to our customers and the clients that we're trying to serve. And this up levels that. When someone else can say, get an email and say, hey, I saw this message before Laura and I have the link you need, here you go. A, that frees up your time and your capacity. B, it makes your people that are dealing with you be like, oh my gosh, her team is on it. So it just all around up levels everything that you do in your brand. It's such a good reframe. And we often think about the negatives of how people might interpret this in a bad way. But like you said, there's a lot of ways this can be interpreted as good. Like this law firm receives my communication, they value it, they respond to me, they get me what I need, even if in that moment, it is not the attorney who's assigned to my case. They don't care. They don't care if Bob <laughs> is getting them the response or it's Julie, the assistant. They just want the information. And so we have to step back and think, we do not, I used to have a post-it note and I tell all my clients to do this, get a post-it note and put it on your monitor that says, do I have to do this? And if the answer is no, then you can delegate that out to somebody else who can answer that email for you. There are other people on your team that knows where that file is. It's a little humbling in the fact we have set ourselves up to believe that all we have to do is hustle. We have to keep working harder. We're at our laptops on our bed at 11 o'clock at night. And if we can just put that aside and realize we don't have to be the one doing it all, it frees up so much freedom to get stuff off your plate you shouldn't really be doing anyway. Yes, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll continue talking about how you can do this, outsource it, and have it be successful. Support for today's episode comes from ESQ.marketing an agency that provides successful SEO strategies for every stage of your practice. You will work with experts in legal marketing. All of their intense focus is on helping attorneys generate more clients and cases from the internet. They don't work with anyone else. You'll breathe easy with low-risk, month-to-month contracts. There are no long-term commitments. ESQ Marketing earns the right to work for your firm each and every month. Best of all, you'll get direct access to the person working on your account, no account managers to deal with, no lost in translation with your requests. To see if you're a fit, visit esq.marketing forward slash lawyerist to get started. Support for today's broadcast comes from Text Expander. Work smarter, not harder with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. With just a few keystrokes, Text Expander keeps you consistent, accurate, and working efficiently. Speed through emails, expand forms with fill-in-the-blank fields using a quick abbreviation. Use Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Get your message right every time by expanding content that corrects your spelling and keeps your language consistent with a few keystrokes. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Support for today's broadcast comes from Postali. 
Building the next powerhouse law firm takes hard work and an entrepreneurial spirit. But some skills escape even the savviest of attorneys. To reach new heights in your legal practice, you need a genuine marketing partner, one that tells you where you are now and where your firm could go. Postali works with law firms nationwide, and their trademarked marketing fiduciary services sets them apart from every other vendor that's cold calling or flooding your inbox. Whether it's informal guidance about things you can do today or a big-picture approach to law firm expansion, Postali is perfect for business-minded attorneys with an eye on the future. No matter where you are in your journey, Postali is the full-service, strategic marketing partner that grows with your firm. To learn more about the services Postali offers, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. One of the questions that I have for you is around this idea. I think it's hard for lawyers, and it's probably a lot of business owners too. There are things in your email inbox that are revenue generators. There are billable hour projects that are coming in where if a client writes in and says, you know, hey, I'd like the update on my case, or here's that paperwork you asked for, what now? There are things in your inbox that where responding to it is proactive, following through on what you said you'd do, and their billable hours and therefore generating revenue. When you are sharing your inbox and sorting those things out, do you have recommendations around that? Because I think the easiest thing to do is, well, just in case client email comes in here, I can't give control of this to somebody else because I need to be there to respond to those things. I have this little app that is a plugin for my Gmail. I use Gmail. I know a lot of people use other stuff, but it's called Inbox When Ready. And it is interesting. So if I go log into my Gmail, there's a little button that pops up that I have to click that says show inbox. And it's just that little pause, Laura, for me of like, (laughs) do I really want to go in there? Is this the time? Because I recommend that everyone block and tackle their time. A lot of us keep our inbox open all the time. So that email pops up. You've got the notification coming on the left side of your monitor, right? You're like, oh, so you go stop what you're doing and answer that email. If we would learn to block and tackle, and maybe we set 10 to 11 a.m. every morning of that's when we process email, and your assistant or your paralegal or someone on your team cleaned the inbox, got all the stuff out of there you don't need to deal with, and you only have the three emails that are billable hours, holy moly, right? That's the jackpot. If you're like, this is what I'm focused on. This is what I have to do today. There's also ways that you can flag emails correctly to be like, oh, this is important. We've developed things with our teams in the past before where they're like, okay, if the VIP thing comes in, if the big client emails in, throw up the bat signal. Maybe that's in Slack or something. You're like, oh, Joe emailed, answer this. There's methodologies that you can use so that you're only focused on the stuff you got to focus on. Nobody's saying that delegating your inbox means you don't work anymore. They're not saying that everyone else is doing the work you're supposed to do. The point of inbox delegation is to keep you singularly focused on the revenue generating activities in your business. So you are not distracted by all the other stuff. And you can train your team to know what those pressure points are because at the beginning, every client emergency, I say that with hesitation, is not a real emergency, right? To them, it's an emergency. So you may have to train the person who's helping you with your inbox. Okay, 
This is a true emergency when someone says, the police are at my house arresting me. <laughs> I'm headed on the way to jail. That's a true emergency. Interrupt me and let me know that I need to go deal with that. A client who is just nervous about their hearing that's in three days and is sending a message that says urgent, not really urgent, but maybe that's something that I do want to hear about in my afternoon email answering session. So you can flag that for me. Exactly. And I think another tool that we don't use enough is relying on our teams to be responsive for us, right? If that client does email in and they want the status of their hearing, it is pretty easy to say, hey, this is Sarah. I got this email for Bob. This is the status for you. That's one less thing that you don't have to deal with. Or they can pop into your office or Slack channel or whatever and be like, hey, Joe's emailing in about the status. And it's like, oh yeah, send him that document. And then it's done. It's no big deal. We don't rely on our teams as much as I think we should to kind of be that support system for us. So we're not inundated with little requests like that. The goal though, is that every email gets touched. Every actual email that needs a response gets a response, but that the response doesn't necessarily have to come from you. That's so great. The block and tackle technique works a lot. We have all tended to adapt into things where we have it open all the time. The messages are coming in all the time. One of the things that used to drive me crazy before I started using tools like Inbox When Ready, the one that I use is called Gmail Inbox Pause. I would answer a bunch of emails, and then by the time I had answered them, all those people had replied, so I felt like I got nowhere because I had 50 emails. I dealt with them all. Now I have 47 back because all those people answered and new stuff popped up. So I actually like to turn my inbox off or not show me the incoming messages for a while, just if you're in that block and tackle session of, I got through everything that was urgent in this session. I don't need to be re-distracted by those people replying or new stuff coming in because they didn't make it for this review session. So I'll deal with it or I'll have my assistant go through the new ones that came in and figure out what I really do need to see. So don't keep it open all the time. There's been so many great studies, right? And I'm reading Cal Newport's a new book, A World Without Email. He mentions so many different studies about how distracting the constant communication loop is, not just because of the pressure of it, but feeling like you need to respond. And just there being so many things that you're like, okay, I barely keep my head above water each and every day. I answer most of my messages, but I can't get to them all. So I like that. Let's talk about finding the right person to outsource this to. Are there characteristics we should be looking for in the type of freelancer or employee who would be a good fit as your inbox triage manager, or I don't know what you would call it, but what are we looking for? I think a few things stand out to me for someone who can really own the inbox. We need somebody who can retain details. They're gonna know that when you said Bob is a VIP person, they hold that detail in their head forever so that when Bob comes in, they know what to do with that email. We also need somebody who's really good at communication, not saying they need a journalism degree or a bachelor's in English, but somebody who can communicate on your behalf, someone who can think quick on their feet. They know I can read the email and they can read between the lines a little bit to be like, oh, this client's mad. Like we need to respond to this. Or this person just needs a quick response of, we got your email, we're gonna look into this, we'll circle back in a few hours. Somebody who's responsive is pretty important because email is the heart of a lot of organizations. I don't think it should be, but the reality is, is that we're all addicted and attached to our phones. We're constantly being barraged by email. So somebody who's really responsive and also very capable of setting up systems. It's one of the things that we test for in our business when we're looking at hiring EAs. Everyone says they can manage an inbox. Let me see theirs. 
I want to see theirs. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Do they have 800 folders? Because that's just as clunky and messy as somebody who doesn't have any folders. We like to test for what is their actual organization ability. I would also encourage you to be testing for how would you reply to this? How do you say no and be really kind about it and leave someone being grateful that you told them no, even though you're giving them bad news. So test for that, see what their communication style is, see what tools they're used to using. If they have only ever used Outlook, but you use Gmail, can they make that transition? And what's that gonna look like? The best EAs or the best paralegals or assistants on your team that can really run your inbox have done it before and they have a system and a method that they're used to and they're going to bring the answers to you instead of you telling them please flag this and please put it in this folder and here's how you set up a filter right they're going to tell you how they're going to delegate your inbox what expectations should we have in mind when onboarding someone because i think there may be a perspective on either end of the spectrum that it takes way too long for someone to do this successfully or that in two days my entire inbox will be sorted out and we'll have the system ongoing for the future that saves me dozens of hours per month, right? So I feel like the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but what are those expectations we should have in mind? It is in the middle. And I think that you know, if someone tells you they can come in in a day and whip your inbox in shape, probably not going to happen. I worked for a client one time and he had 38,000 emails in his inbox when I started. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> right. But it took me a couple of weeks to get through all of that and create a system and a process that worked. One thing I would just let you know, there's going to be spilled milk. They might filter something that you actually did want to see. And so we're going to have to do some spot checks at the beginning and there's going to be a little more communication. But I promise you, the hours that you invest in having a little bit of that back and forth conversation now, it's going to save you tons of time later. So let the pain of engaging with them and working out the process and system you want to have happen, let that happen quickly instead of almost holding back. I think we grip our email inbox so tightly because like, what if my wife emails me and I don't want them seeing my email from my wife? Right. So, so I highly recommend that everyone have a lockdown email. I call it lockdown email. It's a private email that for me and my business, my accountant, my attorney, my husband and my assistant have it. Nobody else has that email. And that can be a way for you to slowly relinquish control. You can have them forward you emails to your lockdown email. So like, you know, the only stuff you're getting is the important stuff. Don't expect it's going to happen overnight, but it's only going to happen at the speed at which you loosen the reins. You have to be willing to release the control and knowing that there's going to be some mistakes. Build the guardrails in for what would be the catastrophic mistakes. How can I make sure that the chances of those happening are much less? I also think people tend to learn really well through mistakes. There's very few things you can't recover from. So if a mistake is made, you apologize to the person who was affected on the other end. And I found just being honest, like, hey, I'm training a new virtual assistant to handle my inbox. She got 90% of things right, but she actually sent the wrong customer service response. I just wanted to correct that. Sorry about any inconvenience. Most people do not care, right? So don't make it into a bigger deal than it is because so few things are those that you cannot recover from, period. And another thing people often struggle with is they have a little bit of judgment of thinking that an EA or a paralegal is responding as them. Just be honest about it. Be honest. Just say, this is Trevinia. I'm responding on behalf of Laura. Okay. You don't have to have them have your voice completely nailed down, right? So that they're talking as you. That might come in time, but until you feel comfortable, just have them say, I'm the assistant. I'm supporting role. I saw this email before Bob did. 
I love it. There's one other question that I have that is actually like flipping the roles. To what extent is it important to be a good email sender? As in, how are you modeling the usage of email for your own team? And what pitfalls should we be aware of? Because I think it's one thing to manage your own inbox, but what if you're also the person who's doing this to everyone else on your team and filling their inbox with urgent emergencies and clutter and things like that? What do we need to adapt on our own side to be a good email sender and retrain people with in your own company, hey, this is how we're going to more productively use email from here on out. I think that we need to be concise in our emails. Some of us will send long emails. It's almost like, this is my dissertation on how I, <laughs> you know, on how I want my coffee made in the morning. Like we don't need to do that. So speak in bullets, like just understand today's culture and society, we're scrolling, we're reading fast, we're kind of moving on to the next thing. And so if you want your information taken care of and actually paid attention to, don't send so much that they can't even digest it. I will tend to ask my team to bold something that really needs to stand out. So dates, times, you know, action items, questions that I need them to answer. And so we get into this cadence of like, that's how we communicate with one another or with outside sources. Also, you shouldn't be using email with your team. You shouldn't just be emailing back and forth with each other, right? There are tools like Asana or other project management systems where that sort of back and forth communication can live in there. So it's not an email. We can also utilize tools like Slack or other tools like that. So that there's not this constant, worst thing you could do is have your assistant cringe when they see your name pop up in the inbox. Yeah. You're just like, oh, what is Bob having me do today, right? So be concise in your communication. I like to start with the ask. So if I'm sending an email, I don't need to give them all the backstory of what I did this weekend and da da da. If I need time off, that's the first line of the email. May I take off Tuesday at 2 p.m.? If they need backstory, they can keep reading. If they don't need backstory, they just hit reply, yes or no. You communicate that way too. I like to use subject lines very specifically. I'll put the question in the subject line. They know right away what it's about. So we like to do that. We also have a model that we call the care model when we're replying to customers that we want to do. We want to acknowledge any questions that they have. We want to, of course, be considerate. We need to be responsive to them. Don't let it sit there forever. And we need to show empathy. And that's the model that we use within our business. And we encourage everyone to do that with theirs. So worst thing you could do is send somebody an email, ask a question, and then they don't even answer it. Right. This is, it sounds like it's about creating good email karma. Like you're going to get back what you give out to. So don't cause all these problems for other people. And I love that you mentioned project management software because email is the worst project management software. And if you have a project management software, you give mixed messages to your team by saying, hey, everything should go in Trello. Everything should go in our communication and our law practice management software. And then you also are sending emails. Sometimes there's a need to because Maybe there's specific things that have to stay attached to that email and you don't want to download them all and upload again, but don't send those mixed messages. Make sure it also lives in the system that has been built for your project management software too, because I feel like that's when it becomes chaotic as a worker, when we're saying, let's be super consistent and use Trello, but then it's like, oh, there's also messages on Slack and somebody left me a voicemail and there's three things in my inbox. It's like, well, where am I supposed to put things? Am I allowed to do that to other people? Because then you 
create this vicious cycle in the whole team of everybody's deviating from the system and it's chaos, right? It's total chaos. And it's like whiplash, right? It's almost like you're learning how to drive a stick shift car, right? We're going to do it oh this way. Nope, never mind. That's an email. Oh, Trello. Nope, never mind. That's a Slack message, right? So let's develop a communication cadence, but it starts with the leader. And I promise you it is hard to do. And it is not something that you arrive at. I think it's a skill you're continuously learning how to master as new tools, new technology, new team members come into place. And so it starts with you, poor leader, I'm sorry, but we do have to take responsibility to sort of set the tone and the cadence for how we want to communicate across our business. I love it. So you're the expert here. I asked all of the questions that I had. What did I miss? Is there anything that you wish I had asked you that you would like the world at large to know about getting to zero inbox and outsourcing it effectively? Yeah, I think that you have to take action on your emails. I'll reiterate this again. It starts with that block and tackle and like actually creating time to only process email. You all know work expands to the time that we allow it to, right? So if you block out three hours, you're going to take three hours to get through your inbox. But if you block 40 minutes, you're going to get through it in 40 minutes. So just remember, you should be assigning something. You should be completing something or you should be tossing something. Do, delegate, delete. Get those little acronyms in your head. When you look in there and you're like, oh, let me just mark that one as unread. No, don't mark it as unread. We're going to finish it right now. Okay. So be ruthless with yourself and it will take time. This is like working out at the gym. Your muscles are going to hurt for a while. It's going to be a painful process, but I promise when you open your inbox, it's going to be like looking at the mirror and like flexing. You're going to be like, oh yeah, I've made progress. (laughs) Like I'm not ruled by my email all the time and you'll be so proud of yourself. And then you're going to really be able to teach a team how to do that too. Oh, you have dropped so many nuggets of wisdom here. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like I have action items I need to take and implement in my own email and with my team. But thanks so much for all of your insight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read The Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.